Well, there was a law and order program in which the bad guys were captured. Uh, the hero, they got the hero, and they also took a woman hostage with them. And so when they're about to be killed, the woman starts screaming and, and going hysterical. And the hero, hero tells her, be quiet, and, she, and says, let's try and get through this with dignity. Well, they got captured and rescued, so dignity was not an issue. And we hear a lot today about dying with dignity. And that's okay, but more important than that, we need to die right with God. And that's the whole point of Easter and the whole point of Jesus' death on the cross. Today, as I go through the last uh, or the remainder of the seven sayings that we started on Friday uh, on the cross, of Jesus on the cross, I want you to notice very much how he died, how he died, and let it be an inspiration to you and to me. He, Jesus didn't have the dignity, of, he didn't have the privilege of dying with dignity. In fact, he died in a way that was reserved for the worst criminals. In fact, it was so cruel and degrading, the Romans would not even allow one of their own to ever be crucified. That's how bad it was. Isaiah 52, 14 tells us by the time Jesus got to the cross, um, he was in such a mess you couldn't recognize him. That's how bad crucifixion is. So he didn't die with dignity, but as we look at these final five sayings, we're going to see that he died with love, courage, and majesty. So John, the, the next saying is John 16, 26, and 27. Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. So here's Jesus, think about this, dying on the cross, and he first addresses his mother, Mary. It's been prophesied that a sword would pierce her soul, and we know her heart would have been ripped to shreads uh, the journey that she went through as she saw her own son crucified on the cross. She would have been also concerned about her future because they say that Joseph was older than Mary, had probably died. Now her son, uh, Jesus, had probably taken over the family business and was looking after her. Now that he was dying, she would have been worried, What's, who's going to look after me in my future? Well, in the midst of his own pain, Jesus turns his attention to the plight of his mother and directing her to John, he said, woman, behold your son. And to John, he said, behold your mother. From that time, John took care of Mary. What I want us to take note of in this third saying of Jesus on the cross is to not allow our own distress to dull our sensitivity to the needs of others around us, especially maybe of those who are close to us and family members we may be responsible for. I'm amazed how there are people in this church who I know are suffering unbelievably and yet, through it all, they keep reaching out to others. They're telling you, they are living sermons. And they inspire me and, and uh, get my attention more than a whole lot of other stuff that people might do. Because at the end of the day, caring for others is what it's all about. So for those of you who are in that category and you're still reaching out, congratulations. I'm sure heaven looks down on you and smiles. People here face tragedy. Absolute tragedy and still reaching out and loving and caring other people and keeping sweet in the process. It is amazing. But the heart of uh, the Jesus' concern for others is a thread that runs through his entire life. No matter what was going on, he's always thinking about others. In the time of his greatest agony, the time of his greatest suffering on the cross, he was thinking of, not only thinking of, but ministering to other people. People, this is an amazing God. 
You know one thing you find about Jesus? He'll never ask you to do what he doesn't do himself. That's real inspiration, isn't it? The fourth or fifth saying, whatever we're up to, I think it's one, two, three, four. Matthew 27, 46, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Watch this. So from midday till 3 p.m., darkness covers the entire land as Jesus has been crucified. Imagine just pitch blackness all over New Zealand for three hours. I tell you, it'd be terrifying. It was pitch black. Maybe the three hours of darkness was an outward sign of the darkness and the torment that Jesus was suffering on the cross. Why? Because all the sin of the world, past, present, future, was laid upon Jesus. Imagine that. All the atrocities we're seeing today, all the sin, all the barbaric things that happened, all the abuse, all the, all the rubbish that's happening, it's all laid upon Jesus in that one moment, and he bears it alone. No wonder the world went dark for three hours. Darkness beyond comprehension. Can I say that none of us here today will ever face a darkness that great? I'm not saying your darkness isn't great, but it'll never be as great as what Jesus went through on the cross. That's why it says that he's, he knows and is accustomed with the feelings of our struggles. He can identify with anything you're going through because he has been there and in greater measure. And Jesus got through it triumphantly and therefore so can you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So the Father turned away from looking upon Jesus because a holy God cannot look upon sin. And so Jesus has to bear the sin of the world alone. Alone. And for the first time in his whole life, he felt the horror of the abandonment of his father. Those who have been abandoned by fathers, he's been there. He's been there. And so in his agony, he cries out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But isn't it interesting? That even in Jesus' darkest hour, he still prays. My God, my God, why have you forsaken? He still reaches out to God. Can I encourage you, in your darkest hour, still cry out to God. Still pray. In Jesus' moment of separation from God, he still kept the faith. He kept his trust in God. He never let that go. And no matter how dark or desperate your situation, keep the faith, keep trusting God, keep loving God. Let the example of Jesus inspire you. In your midnight hour, do not turn away from God. Turn in to God. He alone has the power to get you through. He alone has the grace and the strength to help you in your darkest moment. Where else will you turn? Where will you go? Friends, there is nowhere else to go. The world has nothing to offer you. The people around you cannot in any way do what Jesus alone can do for you. I guess one of the greatest follies we can ever make is when in trouble to turn away from the only one who has the words of life, the only one who has the grace and the strength and the power to help us get through, the only one who can bring us out to the other side, triumphant, sweet, not bitter and unforgiving. Why would we turn away from the very source of help and life? And yet, 
Tragically, many do. It is a grave mistake. And I trust none of you and none of us will ever do that. When John Wesley, the great reformer, died, his last words were, best of all is this, God is with us. Whatever extremity we find ourselves in, God will always be with us. He's promised to never, ever leave us or forsake us. Whatever you're facing today, think about this. God is right at your side. It's not like he's in you and he's with you, he's beside you. Not so for Jesus. In his greatest extremity, the Father was not there. But because Jesus faced separation, you and I never, ever need face separation from God. He will always be with us. What can separate us from the love of God? Absolutely nothing. What can separate us from God being with us? Absolutely nothing. Thank you. <laughs> Someone's excited. <laughs> so good. <clears throat> I thirst. John 19, 28. Jesus, knowing all things are now accomplished, Scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Do you know execution by crucifixion was a long, drawn-out death and it caused terrible, terrible, terrible thirst. Psalm 22, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. But because Jesus thirsted, you see, this is all about exchange. You and I need never thirst because we can drink of the true water of life. You know, there's a deep thirst in the heart of every human being. Deep, deep thirst. And we see it, don't we? People seek to quench that inner thirst with drugs, alcohol, sex, multiple relationships, sometimes even a, an addiction to sport or fame and fortune, only to find that none of those things can ever, ever satisfy. Only Jesus satisfies. He's the cup that won't run dry. He is some amazing, wonderful God whom we love to serve. On the cross, we see the Son of God in His humanity. You see, He was God, but He was also man. So we see, isn't it amazing? He who created all the waters on the world, in the world, thirsts. Think about that. Wow, it's amazing. So he, he, he suffers weariness and tiredness. He suffers thirst and hunger. He's very much a human being. He weeps, he groans. But also he's about to deliver his final message for all time. So he needed to make sure his voice and his throat could bring it out with force and strength. This announcement was not to be muttered. It was to be trumpeted so that all mankind down through every age, would be able to hear it. It is finished. Say that with me. It is finished. Say it again. It is finished. John 19, 30, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. Other three gospel writers say he died with a great shout. It is finished means not just finished as an ended, but it means completed. It means everything has been done. It includes the idea of fulfillment, accomplishment, achievement, everything finalized. He didn't say 
I am finished. <laughs> no, no, he said, it is finished. Very, very different, isn't it, from that? He didn't whisper like someone who's battered to their knees and forced to admit defeat. This is no despairing cry of a helpless martyr. Make that clear. It's a cry of a victor who's won his final battle against the powers of darkness and triumph gloriously. The horse and the rider, he is cast into the sea. This is a magnificent moment in the history of the world when he says, it is finished. Satan, you are finished. Hallelujah. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? It's a shout of a winner. It's a sort of word you might gasp as you cross the marathon finish line as the winner. There's like a, a, a real triumphant sound coming out. And Jesus is a baton for us. Whatever battles we face, we can also triumph. But think about this. At this point in the afternoon, before the start of the Passover, the temple only about a mile away, lambs are being sacrificed for the sins of the people. When Jesus said it is finished, he also was saying the sacrifices of animals for the sin of mankind after thousands of years is finished. The once for all sacrifice of the Son of God was enough to cover the sin of every person of every age and every time, past, present, and future. No need to slash and cut out those animals and pour out their blood any longer. Been done for thousands of years. Jesus says, it is finished. My blood is enough. My blood is sufficient to cover every possible human sin. <laughs> when he said it's finished, he also said everything done for you to be saved, for God to reconcile man to himself was done, finished. He purchased salvation for every human being, every person on earth. Nothing left for man to do, only to receive it by faith. You know, throughout history and still today, you find that mankind is desperately searching and trying all kinds of practices, vows, and sacrifices to make themselves right with God, to get that assurance of salvation. Maybe some of us sitting here today are still trying to earn salvation, make sure things are okay. But when Jesus said it's finished, it means every one of us can say about our assurance of salvation, we can also say it is finished, done, complete. Once we receive Christ as Lord and Savior, we are saved. Our sins are forgiven. We're on the way to heaven. We need not continue to do things to try and earn our salvation because Jesus said in terms of salvation, it is finished. Just receive it by faith. Now, because of Easter and the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can also ask for the salvation of friends, family, loved ones. And many of you wrote down on those names, on those pieces of paper that we've collected and we're gonna pray over those again tonight. No one is beyond the reach of Jesus Christ. One man in our church wrote down two names, only two names he wrote down. I think he thinks he should have written down more. He wrote down his brother and his brother's partner. He loved them very much. People told him, I think it'd been maybe 10 years, a long time. People just said, look, they will never come. So I think on Saturday morning, he writes down the two names. Sunday morning, those two people come to church and give their lives to Jesus Christ. 
I'm telling you, church, it's harvest time. There's a sickle in your hand. There's a sickle in my hand. If you've got family, brothers, sisters, parents, kids who are not, say, hey, get ready. This is the time. This is the season. I got another text from a, um, a pastor who came to New Zealand and beyond. He said his wife wrote down the name of her 18-year-old niece. After writing out, they got a call within a few days from Canada. The niece attended church that Saturday night and gave her life to Jesus Christ. Canada. <laughs> name written down on a Saturday morning and either that Saturday night or the following Saturday night, that person is stirred up to go to church and be saved. How many of you reckon it's harvest time? How many of you reckon God is shouting as loud as he can? Can you hear me? It's time for your family, your friends, your loved ones to come back to Jesus Christ. Can you hear me? <laughs> he is shouting. He is yelling. He is calling out to you and I. So as we pray over those names tonight, let's expect hundreds, if not thousands of people to be saved because there's a man in the clouds with a crown on his head and a sickle in his hand. Nick, Nick we're going to do that again. I want you to wave your sickle, all right? Just go like, don't hit the person next to you unless you feel they need a bit of a whack, then do it, all right? Okay, you ready? There's a man in the clouds with a crown on his head and a sickle in his hand. Now we're going to sickle in my hand. There's a man in the clouds with a crown on his head and a sickle in my hand. Come on, give the Lord a hand. Yeah, there's a sickle in your hand. Your hand. You always thought that you would never be able to be one to see people saved, but you're wrong because you will be one who can see people come to Jesus Christ and be saved. God's about to reap the greatest harvest we have ever seen. Last Sunday, 15 gave their lives to Christ. MP on Wednesday night, 14 gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Easter Friday, 10 gave their life to Jesus Christ. This is what Easter, this is what the death and resurrection of Jesus is all about. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. No one else ever died like this. Jesus didn't, life just didn't ever weigh until there was nothing left. He said in John 10, 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay down of my own accord. When Stephen was being stoned to death, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. But at this, that point, his spirit was being ripped out of him. But Jesus' death was not ripped from him. He gave up his life. He made that decision. It wasn't ripped off him. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Stephen's life was taken from him. Jesus consciously gave his life. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Can I say this? Commit your spirit into God's hands. Commit who you are, the real you, into God's hands. Why? So he can watch over it. He can, protect, he can keep you from bitterness, unforgiveness, bad attitudes, lukewarmness, backsliding. The list goes on and on, friends. We can't trust ourselves, can we? I mean, how many people do you know once we're on fire in church serving God, but today, gone. Nowhere to be seen. Into your hands, Lord Jesus, I commit my spirit. I commit my mind, will, emotions, all of myself. I commit, Lord, would you watch over me, protect me, keep me, care for me all the days of my life. 
The last seven sayings on the cross mean so much for us today. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. There's forgiveness for us at the cross, but also we must forgive others. Today you shall be with me in paradise. Salvation is available to everyone, every single person through the cross. Dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. There's love and provision for us at the cross. But even in our pain, let's be sensitive to the needs of those around us, especially family and friends. Keep our focus on caring for others. Oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus went through separation from God. We can say, my God will never, ever leave me or forsake me or abandon me. You will never be alone. I thirst. <clears throat> Jesus thirsted so we could drink the water of life and be fully satisfied. It is finished. Everything required for our salvation has been done. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Tells us there's eternal security for us at the cross. And that's how the Son of God died. Willingly, lovingly, majestically, triumphantly. The sound and the voice of a victor, not a victim. Not one overcome, but an overcomer. Winning salvation for all mankind. But death is not the end of the Easter story. Jesus' film was shown to a packed church in Bangladesh. When the crucifixion scene was shown, they could hear the, 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 the gasp of shock and of weeping. The Bengalis were all caught up in the agony of Jesus dying upon the cross. They thought this was so terrible. In that emotional moment, there's a boy yells out. He says, don't be afraid. He gets up again. I've seen the movie before. The boy echoed the cries of Scripture as the musicians joined me. Voice of Scripture, he is risen. Death could not hold him down. God raised him back to life. He's alive. Jesus is alive. Stand with me, please. Put your hands together for this mighty God. Whom we serve. Come on, let's put our hands together. Give him a shout of victory, a shout of triumph, a shout of overcoming. Our God is an awesome God, an overcomer, a victor. God's not dead. <laughs> he is alive and He lives and reigns forevermore. We're going to sing in a moment, I think, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Hey, if you can, got to head off to the city now. If you can, join us. For the service tonight, it's, it'll be great, especially, we want to pray for breakthrough and all the rest of that, open him, especially to that sickle in your hands. Come on, let us pray for you. Get that anointing. You know, in the next few weeks, months, I'm believing for parents to be saved, brothers, sisters, children, grandchildren to be saved. And you're the key. I won't get to most of them, but you can get to them. And just as you get prayed for tonight, just expect something supernatural to happen. Not that you're going to go and have to go out and start witnessing and, you know, giving them the whole gospel story or anything like that. But there's something will happen that will just begin to, to put the wheels in motion for the harvest to come in. There's a man in the clouds, the crown on his head, and a sickle in my hand. There's a sickle in your hand. God has given every one of us the ministry 
of reconciliation. You can look it up in 2 Corinthians. Don't say, look, that's not me. No, no, the Bible says it is you. Every one of us can be instruments in bringing in the great harvest. You guys are awesome. We love you all. And we look forward to seeing you again. If you can join us tonight, that would be fantastic. God bless you. Take care.